0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSP MAG24.
1: Welcome to the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society. Welcome to ITSP Magazine. You're listening to a new Redefining Security podcast. Have you ever thought that we are selling cybersecurity insincerely, buying it indiscriminately, and deploying it ineffectively? Perhaps we are. So let's look at how we can organize a successful InfoSec program that integrates people, process, technology, and culture to drive growth and protect business value. Knowledge is power, now more than ever. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it with a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance, virtually false-positive-free. Learn more at Edgescan.com Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform, with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings. And quickly implement industry standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at ArcherIRM.com. All right, Marco,
2: Sean,
3: so, um, we're gonna make some plans here.
2: We're gonna make some plans. Uh, I'm gonna work on my end of the bridge. Are you gonna yeah. work on yours?
3: Yeah, I'm architecting something here, kind of yeah. like. Urbanistic. I'm, I'm thinking to build something in the cloud. Okay. And I That's don't know good. how to do that, but I don't want well, to the My bridge is cloud. going to
2: Mars, way beyond the clouds. So.
3: Is that a rainbow bridge? What you're doing?
2: <laughs> <laughs> rainbow bridge. Yes, gold pot of gold at the end.
3: <laughs> well, we're being silly, but this is some serious stuff. There is a book that we're talking about.
2: There is a book. It's serious because there's a book and. And because it's serious, there is a book. <laughs> so we're, let's let's quit dancing around what we're talking about here. So we're we're going to be looking at cybersecurity architecture, and this isn't just two normal guests.
3: And that's and why we're making just, some. You know, that's right. We're joy having some fun, fun here.
2: We have a good friend and a host of your everyday cyber on a podcast here on ITSP Magazine, Diana Kelly, and her co-author, who is also a friend we've had many conversations before, Ed Moyle. Thank you both for being part of this.
4: Thanks for having us.
2: Yeah, absolutely. Thank you.
3: Yeah, this is fun. This is fun. Yeah. Although the topic could be a little heavy in a way, but (laughs) as we were talking about before we started the conversation, it's here to stay. It's not properly just technical but is a can i say it's a it's a way to approach a problem and create a system that may last for a very long time and uh, we're talking about a practical cybersecurity architecture i think that's the title of the book
2: That's the title of the book and I, I believe it's meant to be a a guide um, yeah. so maybe uh, rather than me trying to guess and describe Guidance. it Yes, you please both guide us. And actually, maybe I'll I'll start with you, Diana. Uh, Why this book? Why now? How's it different from other things you've worked on?
4: Yeah, so um, when this is actually the second book that Ed and I have written. And the first book that we wrote was about cryptographic libraries for developers. And it was a very deep, very technical dive on how to incorporate cryptographic libraries into your applications. And it was something that um, I had seen was a problem and Ed was incredibly close to it. It was something in his job he was seeing a lot and it involved code. It was the versions of the library that were available at that point. And it was a very deep, very technical book and it was obsolete. And what do you think Ed, maybe a year, six months even?
0: Yeah. It was honestly probably a little long in the tooth when it was published because it took it took a, a year plus to write it. So,
4: yeah. So when we were when we were approached by a, this this publishing company to write something on architecture, we thought long and hard about what we wanted to do to not have something that would obsolesce very quickly, but would also be a value that people could could put to use immediately. So there's a lot of, of the you hear in architecture that kind of becomes point in time. Right now, the point in time everybody's talking about is ZTA or zero trust architectures. But that they ZTA didn't exist a few years ago and who knows what's gonna exist in the next couple of years. So what we wanted to do was rather than to do a deep dive on this is how to build a ZTA or this is how to build a hybrid cloud, we wanted to do a deep dive on this. Is the process of building a cybersecurity architecture and the guide for people for that? Give them that really good baseline of what what it's about, how to actually do it, and then they can add the specific technologies up on top of that. and And Ed, um, you know, what what do you, you want to add?
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess a way to think about it, right? Is it, it, so <clears throat> one way to think about why we did this the way we did this and, 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 you know, um, is that there's this really famous guy uh, years and years ago, Vitruvius, right? Roman person. And he wrote this 10 volume uh, treatise on architecture, right? Called De Architectura. And it's basically what's cool about it. and, And what struck me was that, you know, this book is still one that architects look at today and it's not about, you know, the Roman building methods of the time, which were innovative at their time, but, you know, but people can still read it today because it's all about proportionality. It's about structure. It's about utility. It's about how do these buildings get used, right? It's about physical architecture, you know, building stuff, not, um, you know, technology or anything like that. And but as a
3: reference, Leonardo da Vinci used the Vitruvian Man
0: based on that. That is true. That's yes. I, I, exactly. Yes. I, if I know, was not Italian, I wouldn't call
2: and you'd be in trouble if you didn't. But uh,
3: that's a, that's a great point. It's like you you change the way you do things, but the principles stays the same. Exactly.
0: Beside. Exactly. And so I'm, you know, we're no Vitruvius, right? But <laughs> but the the principles of that, like having a, something that you can take, and regardless of what the project is that you're working on, that you can apply a set of principles and go through a process, like Diana said, and at the end you have something that's functional that does what you want it to do. Well, how do you codify that and put it together? So that's kind of in a nutshell.
2: So um, I'm wondering, and maybe you can describe who this is for as I uh, as I ask this question, but I'm, I'm thinking, so principles to me would seem very abstract, not very pointed. Uh, do, do you have to know what you want to achieve as you're thinking about the principles? Uh, and do you, do you need to be mature to have an architecture? Or can you... Can you build something without an architecture and hope for the best? Or do you have to be mature to do to, to, Who is this book for? I guess this is the ultimate question I want to know.
4: Well, it's interesting that you ask that because that was something that we were thinking a lot. And it's for people that want to do cybersecurity architecture. So if you're an architect... You can This would help you to understand how to do how to do that with that cybersecurity lens. Um, if you want to be an architect or specifically a cybersecurity architect, then this would be a really good baseline for getting yourself started on again what the process is. This isn't going to be; it's not a concordance of you know these are all the different technologies that are out there. It's not even the blueprints of putting them together. It's really for people that want to understand why you would do architecture and how to do it and actually talks about some of the ways to mature your process so if you it's more about um, someone who's who's practicing and that means that it would be anybody uh, in a a company so you could be working at a large financial services company and they've got a pretty mature architecture you could still use this to help guide how you do the process Um, it could also be a smaller company and and some that they're just getting started out but if it's it's really for the people that are going to be doing the architecture itself.
0: You know, just one one thought about that, right? I mean, what happens in practice is that you, um, you know, you have these models that are out there. You know, things like TOGAF, things like SABSA, right? Like you've got. You know, well, wait, got, hold you,
4: on, Ed. Hold like on. That? I don't know if everybody listening is going to know well, what they
2: sound like acronyms absent. to me.
4: Yeah, Thasento. <laughs> we might need to explain Sherwood sure and.
0: <laughs> okay, yeah. So, so Togaf is a is an IT architecture framework that's it's been around for a, a long time, and it basically describes how you do enterprise IT architecture and 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 you know make sure that you tie together. Things like requirements with you know with design and and that you follow a process and you have rigor around the uh, how you do it and stuff like that. Um, SABSA is the um, Sherwood Applied Business Security, security architecture, architecture Framework. Yeah, and it's basically um, there's a fellow in the UK who actually we we interviewed for our, our book who uh, John Sherwood who who came up really nice guy too by the way uh, who who came up with this model for how do you look at different views into the architecture process like so for example right you you have like the point of view of building a house say there's the 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 point of view of the person who's actually putting the blueprint together and then there's the point of view of the owner and then there's the point of view of the tradesperson that comes in to do plumbing or electricity or what have you so like how do you how do you divide up the different layers and and look at each layer and what's important for that layer and 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 so on. So there's these models out there that exist and and they're they're really good. The problem in practice though is that if you're talking about an SMB, you're talking about somebody in the mid market. You're even talking about a large organization that may not be kind of the most mature and you know really a lot of these these models and frameworks are 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 borderline inaccessible to them. And they're inaccessible to them because of the fact that a there's there's a lot of process and rigor, which is a good thing, um, but b there's kind of like a uh, like a, a a skill gap there, right? There's a there's a gap between what they know how to do versus being able to get to that maturity and rigor. And so what we're trying to do is 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 bridge that gap that gap a little bit, not replace any of those models because, like I said, you know we refer heavily to both in that book because you know quite frankly they're both really good and there's a lot of thought that's been put into them and it's you know community driven and all this stuff right um but to make it a little bit more approachable for people by showing them the process of how to do it and to call out kind of what are the important things because you look at like a standard like um say, pick any standard, you know, COVID, ISO 27001, whatever it is, you know, you, you, you know, you pick a framework like that. And there's, for any organization, there's going to be stuff that's more important, and there's going to be stuff that's less. And so it's to try to distill down to them, for them, the really important parts of that rigor, that they can take away and apply, and how to apply it, so that they can exercise these good principles. But yet, they don't have to, you know, to, to necessarily go to tremendous lengths in order to do it. It's it's kind of like it's a cross between kind of a playbook and like a coaching guide for how to get to the skills in order to to do that.
3: Yeah. All right, so we'll, we'll we'll get more in the detail of what people can learn here and so forth. But I want to know what is that moment that that why that make you say we need to write this book right now like we we talk always on i t s p magazine about we're redefining technology, we're redefining security, we're redefining society. in this case, it's like are we doing things wrong, or do we need to do it different now and and that's so the spark that really said we need to look back in an architecture structure or with, Why did you write the book, really?
4: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I can talk. And and Ed and I, you know, came up with. We had some different drivers, but they were fundamentally really very much in the same direction. For me, one of the big, the big issues was that there's a lot of talk about we want to build an architecture. We want to, but mostly most of the time, companies come to it, or or, uh, you know, someone who wants to implement a new architecture comes to it from a here's some new technology, and I want to now plug that in instead of actually taking a really methodical process based approach and if you've gone into companies and worked as as an architect you see that there's a lot of kind of crazy stuff that goes on and it's because things have grown over time and people were trying to plug in uh, you know this new tech and that new tech now if you and that's just architecture technical architecture now when you look at security the problem with doing that is that not only do you not have a coherent view but you also probably don't have the best protection or even the most efficient and effective there's a lot of complaints about oh security's in my way security's keeping me from doing something it's probably because there wasn't thought about how do we make a beautiful elegant architecture that serves the business and weave security in so there's tons of books about this is the new technology, tons of books about either, you know, this is the cool new way to put things together, but there wasn't anything that explained if you step back and be strategic about how you plan and build an architecture that you're going to be better off in the long run. Um, it, that can be a hard discussion to have with people because people like to do things just really fast and take shortcuts. But truly I believe from the work that I've done over the years that, when you are thoughtful about it and you do follow a process, ultimately you make things go faster because you don't have to go back and redo things all the time. And, and, um, you know, Ed also I think had seen some of those things and was also had his own views too.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I, and actually I'll I'll crib from, so one of the things that we did for the book was, well, it's great if we give you our perspective, but also let's try to distill down the perspective of, Uh, you know, other people who are out in the field doing this, right. So we went out and we interviewed a bunch of different people. And the one thing that they have in common is that they're all have been successful at at at, as security architects in the business, you know, in in business, right. And, um, you know, so it was, it was a spectrum. I mean, we talked to the lead architect for Microsoft, and we talked to, you know, little security architect, Security architect, exactly right. Um, so we we interviewed all these folks, and and uh, I'm gonna crib from one the way that one of those interview interview uh, interview subjects had phrased it. Right, a, a fellow a- a- Andrew Townley who uh, runs a site called archistry.com, which which uh, you know his he's really into architecture, basically, right. And and so we interviewed him, and and the way he put it, when I think he's right, and it, this puts the thumb right on why. Uh, at least for me, which is he said, like, look, you're going to have an architecture, whether you plan it or not, (laughs) right? If, you know, there is going to be an architecture. So either it's the one that organically grows around whatever stuff you just happen to put into your environment, technology wise, or it's going to be something that you plan out. And this started me when he when he said that this started me down this whole path of thinking about, like planned cities versus unplanned cities. Like so, yes. you know, you compare a city like um,
4: Paris you know, like and New- DC.
0: Exactly right. With Houseman, uh, yeah, yeah, and you know, if in when when a city is planned, there are some things that you get. Like so, you you go and w- walk down the the streets of New York City, and you kind of know ballpark where you are just based on you know the the grid system that they use there. Whereas if you go to Boston. And I moved from New Jersey, which is a suburb of, of, of New, New York, to to New Hampshire, which is a suburb of Boston. So I lived this, right? Uh, uh-huh. And you can't find anything like these roads, <laughs> I, you know. And and so it's it, it's basically we that need same
4: to find things.
0: <laughs> yeah, people who, who who live there all their lives can. Diana knows how to get to places. I know, but uh, but the point is, is that if if you're putting together. Um, you know, if you're, if, if you're in an organization, and you have some ability to plan this out ahead of time, I mean, that did that discipline and the the investment that you do in putting rigor around that up front, I mean, that value lasts 1015 years. Yeah. I mean, why not do that? And and it's not that people don't want to, it's just that they can't. And the one of the reasons why they can't, is that there's not a, you know, they don't have, they say they don't have enough time. They don't know about the fact that like, you know, Sabsa, TOGAF, they don't know that that exists. They don't know what that is, right? Uh, they don't know how to do it. They don't know what's involved. So basically this is, you know, how do we make that approachable to them? And that that's really what we we're trying to do with our first book too, which is how do we make yeah. the process of cryptographic engineering, like uh, accessible to people? And we, we did... Overestimate the number of people who have that particular problem, but in this case, uh, it's how do we take the the uh, the the concept of security architecture and make that approachable to, and, and accessible to people? And and
2: Diana and first uh, Ed, I think you nailed it when you're going to have a, uh, an architecture, whether you know it or not, right? One's going to exist, and that kind of answers part of the question I'm going to ask now. Um, what is an architecture? And I, I listed a few things. Is it a document? Is it a process? Is it a policy, a map, a discipline, a mindset? Some, none, all of those things. And to your point, Ed, uh, if, if you have one and you don't know it, um, what does it mean to somebody? Do they have the right one <laughs> or not? So yeah. what what is it, Diana? And do, do, do people know they have one? And if they think they have one, is it the right one?
4: Yeah, no, it is, it is great. So it it, it, it an architecture is a plan. That's the most important thing. It's a plan, but it's a plan that takes into account all the different needs and requirements and stakeholders. And then it's the ability to build this out as a process so you can execute on that plan. So it's very much like when you are building a house and you go to an architect and they help you to understand what that plan can look like—it's—it's it's your as as I was talking about with Sapsa and the different views. When you're building a house with an architect, you have things you want as the homeowner—that's your view. But the architect understands things about what would make it buildable or how to accomplish things that you might not know yourself. So that they take into account these other these frameworks in, in technology. Right you're, now, you start taking into frameworks, but in reality, you know, in in, in real world and. and IRL space. Um, It's about understanding the, the different things that are coming to factor what your view or your desires are and how you could actually build that out. So an architect needs to understand things and talk to stakeholders to bring that into the plan and that's part of the process and knowing things like, what's important to the company, what's even our budget, what are our legacy constraints, constraints, bringing that all together so that it's something that's coherent that can move forward from that plan. And one thing I would like to note that we haven't really touched on yet, but we've been kind of leaning a little bit over towards network um, discussion and networks, network architectures, but architectures apply both to network, which would mean you know, what's on-prem, what's in the cloud, what am I doing for and nowadays conditional access and zero trust, um, but it also is for applications and application architecture. You also, as, as Andrew Townley pointed out, you have one whether you know it or not, And it's really important to start looking at process and plan for application architectures because right now what's happening is we've got a lot of just knitted together, low-code, no-code kind of applications or workloads being deployed out. And without having a good plan that takes into account stakeholders' requirements and needs, uh, we're getting a lot of these applications that are putting data at risk and, and, and getting them out there. People are like, I love Zapier. It can do so much. I too love Zapier. But if you're not thinking about how you're using that for your company, if you haven't thought about that's actually an architecture that you're implementing, then you could be putting your data
3: at risk. So Ed, in this guide, if you're a reader and you're picking out this book, what will you learn?
0: So we describe the process that we use or that we have used successfully now that that's not to say that ours is the only process that is out there or that that exists right we take pains to contextualize it within the framework of of other process that exists out there but we're basically describing the steps that we've used with examples where appropriate that that lead you to a place where you are getting what you might call fitness of purpose for a set of requirements that you have so we we guide you through that right we guide you through well here's how how do you here here's how to gather your you know to gather the requirements that you need in a systematic way here's to analyze that here's how you analyze them in a systematic way here's how you do things like control selection and risk mitigation in a systematic way and one of the things that I, I think is kind of cool about it is that um, you know th- that fitness of purpose thing is really important because um, it's really all about you know that's really what what governance is right when you think about it and, and you know I former Isaka guy right I spent a long time dealing with it with questions of governance and so you know really governance in in a technology context is really about how do you get the best bang for your buck right how do you make sure that investments that you make are being used optimally for the organization right um but with this you know with the architecture view it's it's really kind of like how do you ensure that the plan that you're putting together the 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 way that you're addressing these requirements is being done in kind of the most optimal way both from a you know i i promise i promised myself i wasn't going to quote the Truvius more than once, but but I'm going to.
3: Uh, <laughs> I'm going <laughs> to quote it after too. So
0: <laughs> so he has three principles, right? He has you know utility, um, beauty, and uh, strength, right? And and you know not in the, you know that's translated, right? But but um, you know so so uh, the beauty one, I think there's an element to that, but in the technology world, I think the 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 big ones are um, the that functional. Like so, an example would be right. Like if, 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 if if you just go out and build a, you know, build a building, right. like build a skyscraper and you don't consider like what that's going to be used for. I mean, you could very well wind up with something where somebody has to walk up to the, you know, to the 50th floor and nobody thought to put an elevator in and, oh, you know, like now people try to live there and it's like, well, now how do we get to floor 50? Well, good luck to you. Like, you know, uh, trying to retrofit that is going to be 10 times more expensive or whatever. So the short answer to your question, Marco, is that it's about, uh, you know, it's about the fitness of purpose and what we do, the, the why, is about giving them a process that they can follow, that they can hone themselves, they can own it, right? They can adapt it over time based on their own experiences and their own culture. And we tell them a little bit about, you know, we talk about how to do that so they can optimize it for their own use but if they follow this pl- this process plus additional knowledge and and Diana alluded to some of that additional material that they need to supply some of that is their own information about their technology context like what they have in place and you know different models that exist out there you know things like zero trust and and cloud and all that 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 great stuff they need to to supply that and then they also need to supply information about their own company they need to bring those things to the table and then, with, with those three things in place, they can follow this and come up with a set, uh, rigorous enough for most organizations um, model that you know has good principles built around it that that they can that they can that they can build to.
4: And to give them flexibility, too, as they want to bring things in in the future so that they can understand how you add things. And instead of having it be like sort of the crazy Winchester house and we'll just slap stuff on, it's that we know that we're going to need to grow this in the future. So how do we prepare for upcoming technologies and changes? Because that's one of the things that makes me nuts about some of the, the architectures that we're just kind of Happened and and nobody thought them through is that they get really brittle and you try and make any change to it and it's really hard as opposed to thinking about flexibly how are you going to be able to grow this in the future and that's where planning can help a lot.
2: Yeah, I'm glad you went there, Diana, because as Ed was talking about the well, if there was no technology for an elevator, how do you know the plan for that, yeah. right? So you, you yeah. have stairs. That's that's the tech we have, but how do you deal with the lady? Do you replace the stairs? with an elevator or do you supplement and with a world in a world of, uh, continuous development or delivery and integration, uh, CDCI, whatever we call it, um, and agile development and basically everything just coming all the time. Everything's changing all the time. How do you work an architecture that lives versus being static? And maybe the second part of the question is, does the architect, guide the technology and the building process to say you know continuous development is not good here you want to stabilize and and set something uh solid as a base for this part and as opposed to the other so any any thoughts on that dana
4: yeah i mean it's it's very true that there are actually still some situations where you don't want to have it be Fully agile and everything, you know, pushing code every day like that—that's not—it's—it's it's not right for some purposes. Some purposes that you still will see some levels of waterfall or spiral development kind of approach even to, to applications, um, and that's fine. I mean, but in general, you're right. Everybody's gone is or the majority of of dev that we're seeing is is very agile. Agile, so we want it to be very flexible. And and actually, baseline architecture can help here, and I know that I've had these discussions with people that just feel like you're holding me back, you're giving me a process. Look at this book, it's hundreds of pages of long, I can't even look at it. But but truly, if you know this process, what happens is, is you do it over time, you get better and better at doing it and it becomes second nature. And instead of having something come in and throw like a monkey wrench at you, because you're like, oh my God, that, that attitude of everything has suddenly changed. If you start thinking in this really processed view, then you understand that it's not that everything has changed most of the time, it's that things have shifted so now you have to look at where in the architecture you make a change and you, you may shift to to keep up and absorb that so it becomes oh it, it really is a much better way to even support agile even though a lot of people hear process oh my gosh that feels so rigid and i'm not going to be able to break out of it what it does is it's giving you muscle memory and practice and a really strong base from which you can start to be more flexible. So you know you can think of it sort of like a you know like a plug-in, right? You know you can start if you create an ability or the I'm going to go to the buttons. I have to go to the buttons. Um, you guys know this, like, but with the the buttons for the talking dogs, they have these these buttons. They have these these mats that you say this is this is the kind of language. This is about noun or this is about a verb. And then as the dog learns over time, you may change what those buttons are, but you've got this baseline you've got the plan that is able to support that so it's not about pulling you back from flexibility it's actually giving you a way to be much faster if you had put those buttons the way you used to in the old days without these nice new you can push the buttons in very easily and they, they go they're already or they're already organized based on type of language it is they were just big boxes that people were using and, and hard and, you know, gluing or nailing the buttons to them for the dog. So by having this strategic architectural plan for those buttons, it's now actually more flexible as the dog's brain changes. And that's the same thing in technology. When somebody first came to me about, you know, zero trust, oh, it's so new. It's so different. And I said, we'll just step back and think about what's already within the architecture that supports that and what we may need to now add on. It went from being this kind of sky is falling. We couldn't, you know, everybody's telling us I have to do this. How do I do this right now to, oh, we actually have a huge number of, of, of things and, and components of that that we need to support Zero Trust. And here are the places that we need to slot in the new ones. And actually we have we have availability in our architecture to slot those in.
2: It's all about getting the treat for me. <laughs> Yeah. Okay, that the tree.
3: That's how you figure things out. <laughs> That's right. Food. Um, I'm, I'm like a dog. I'm food driven. <laughs> <laughs> uh, talking about food driven, like what drives you? I, I, I feel like in order to, to wrap this, I would like to maybe add the value of something like this for not much the security people, which we clearly see there is value, but for the business people and how maybe this could be a good way to paint the big picture that is not just like, no, don't do this or here's the new technology. No. Everything has a purpose if you have this frame, but it also makes a purpose for the business itself. So can somebody in the business side of things read and take something from this book?
0: I yeah, I mean that's a great question. I I don't know that I had really Thought about that until you you asked that. I mean, we we do make some assumptions that so it, it's really written kind of with the sec, through a security lens, right? Um, but I think you're onto something that it is important for for a business. And and when you think about where do security people come from, you know, a lot of them. Are, yeah, sure. You have people who came up through the network. Uh, admin, you know, network engineering ranks, you have people who come up through application development, you know, but you do also have people who come in from a from a business side. And uh, so I I don't think there's anything necessarily stopping them. I think it'll be a little bit harder, though, because we do kind of assume that a lot of the examples we use, we kind of assume that that somebody, um, you know, that uh, that somebody has that security knowledge so they can contextualize and understand where we're coming from. But the process itself, I don't think there's anything security related about that. I, you know, I do think, though, that for them to, I, I think it would be good for the, the business person who's coming to into a security role. Um, so that's my thought. Diane what do you think?
4: Yeah, I think so. I mean, I would love it if business people would pick this book up and understand that this is what cybersecurity is looking at, because we, we talk a lot about the importance of supporting the business and understanding the business and the stakeholders. So I would absolutely love if a business person would pick this up. It's certainly not a deep technical dive if you're afraid, oh, I don't know about you know what FIPS 140-2 is. You know, it's like, it's fine. You don't need to know about that standard of crypto to, to be able to to go through this book. But I suspect that there aren't going to be a lot of business readers for it. I think it's going to be mostly people that are either practicing in architecture right now, want to focus on cybersecurity or who want, who have not practiced in architecture and know they want to have a cybersecurity architecture career to give them a good baseline on the process. Yeah.
2: So at at a minimum, as we, as we wrap here, uh, clearly a guide to help one define an architecture and get one in place rather than take the one that happened, uh, we'll say organically. Um, hopefully in in the context of how security not just protects the business, but also enables it. And then uh, the Holy Grail, perhaps there, there are business leaders that want to understand how security can be leveraged to help them transform their business. Some things can't be done to your points made in this conversation. If you don't know what is possible and what challenges you might face in the future, you may not be able to proceed. And only with a view of what some of the risks are, can you prepare for them and, and take some of those transformations that uh, that you really want. So, as a guide, love this conversation. Hopefully, people read it. And uh, as always, great to see you, Diana and and Ed and uh, and,
3: and the Scott. notes. The, yes. the food the food notes are in Latin. Because it's to the Food, food, food. No. <laughs> oh, <Uh-oh, laughs> we heard food again. I didn't dating yes. food. food Must be lunchtime. <laughs> and uh, yeah, you know, maybe in 2000 a year from now, people are going to look at this as the the, the, the <laughs> fundamental elements of cybersecurity <laughs> where yes. everybody is still getting inspired, if we Definitely still need is. cybersecurity. <laughs> Well, yeah. I really enjoy this conversation very, very much, of course. And uh, Diana and Ed, always great to see you or hear you for the people that don't get to see the video that we're doing now, but uh, it's a podcast format. So thank you very much. And there'll be we're redefining links.
2: security architecture.
3: Yeah, and there'll mm-hmm. be links and resources and probably some vetruvious quotes too in the notes. <laughs> <laughs> Who
2: knows? Maybe. You never know. You never
4: know. All
1: Absolutely. right, thank you both. Thank you. Thank you. Archer empowers organizations to manage multiple dimensions of risk on one platform with on-premises and software-as-a-service offerings and quickly implement industry-standard processes and best practices for advanced risk management maturity, informed decision-making, and enhanced business performance. Learn more at ArcherIRM.com. EdgeScan offers continuous vulnerability intelligence as a service, accurately identifying vulnerabilities and exposures across the full stack. All threats are verified by cybersecurity experts, providing exploitable risk and remediation guidance virtually false positive free. Learn more at EdgeScan.com. Imperva is the cybersecurity leader whose mission is to protect data and all paths to it With a suite of integrated application and data security solutions. Learn more at imperva.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Redefining Security Podcast. If you learned something new and this podcast made you think, then share itspmagazine.com with your friends, family, and colleagues. If you represent a company and wish to associate your brand with our conversations, Sponsor one or more of our podcast channels. We hope you will come back for more stories and follow us on our journey. You can always find us at the intersection of technology, cybersecurity, and society.
0: Insights, solutions, and networking all come together at RSA Conference. Join
1: a global cybersecurity community at rsaconference.com forward slash ITSPMAG24.